All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers, what the fuck buddies, what the fucksters, what's happening? Mark Marin here. Uh, this is my show, WTF. Welcome to it. I hope everything's okay. I don't know, man. D, what do you think? What do you think happened this last week? If you've been keeping up, if you've been listening, and you knew where, were you, where, where I was at, because I pre-recorded last week, and what I had presented was that I would... You know, if everything went as planned and I was ready to sort of move through it, that I would get off the nicotine lozenges. And uh, I'm here to report that I have. I am now eight days, eight days off today, which will be Monday. I'm recording this seven days off and um, I'm, I'm a little less out of my mind. Some of you have been through this with me maybe once or twice before, but uh, wow, pretty exciting pretty fucking exciting just to throw yourself into some sort of craving induced mania that uh, disables your ability to filter your emotions properly and just makes you fucking nuts in a very exciting way it's been very exciting uh in the sense that uh if i'm gonna stay like this we're we're, we're all up for quite a ride if i'm gonna stay like this I don't know if that's going to be what's going to happen. Okay, so let's do some business. Let's do some business. I'll be at the Vogue Theater in Vancouver this Friday. I believe it's sold out. You can try. Uh, that's September 6th. I will be at the Moore Theater in Seattle, September 7th. I don't think that's sold out. I think there's still a few tickets to that. So come to that one, okay? Yeah, come down from Vancouver. You heard me right. Come from Vancouver. And coming up, these are important. They're as important as it would be if you want to see me perform. I'm at JFL 42 in Toronto on September 19th. The Vic Theater in Chicago on September 20th. That's sold out, actually. Why did I say that? Uh, the Toronto one needs, yeah, that needs support, as they say in the business. The Masonic Temple in Detroit needs a little help on September 21st. And the Pantages Theater in Minneapolis on September 22nd. My old alma mater. In a way, I've taped a special there. Go to WTFpod.com slash tour for ticket info and all my tour dates for the rest of the year. All right? So here's what goes on. So I get off. I decide to get off to get off the nicotine. I told you I was going to, which I did. But man, my brain just spread wide open, buddy. Who's the buddy, pal? Spread wide open. I'd forgotten what it was like because I was eating a lot of them. I don't know if you guys knew how many I was eating, but I was eating a lot of them, man. My tolerance was way up. It was taking a lot to fix. And, you know, it wasn't getting any easier. All day long, sometimes I go, yeah, I, I nicotine myself into nauseousness sometimes, sweaty, eye-crossing queasiness. And then sometimes I go to bed with them in my mouth. And when I woke up and realized they were in my bed, I'd stick them under the pillow next to me. Yeah, so they get all get all stuck under the pillow like a sad tooth from when you were a kid. I was strung out on the shit is what I'm saying. But when I pulled the plug on it, I just didn't realize how like my brain's just scrambling for dopamine. The receptors are going nuts. They're starving. My my metabolism slowed down. So I like put on like eight pounds overnight and uh, I've just been crazy. You know, I'm, I, I'm afraid to talk to people. I've done a lot of watching of television and cooking during this time and just getting through it, exercising, hiking, um, sweating it out. Like uh, yesterday, I went and um, ran four miles and then went and sweated out. But it's, it's hard with people on stage, did two comedy sets, loopy as fuck, full on improv, nicotine withdrawal improvisation, spectacular. 
so satisfying and weird. I, I don't know. I, how do I make my life this, this, um, this mode? I'd like to stay in this mode a bit without the craving, like I'm amped a little bit. It's probably annoying for you. I apologize. I apologize. It'll pass. But I did a couple sets. That was good. I was also in that ongoing, um, this weird battle on Twitter where all the um, Marvel Comics Universe people were mad at me, which is uh, fine. Oh, and then they released a trailer for the Joker, and I made it in, man. I'm at the very end, me and De Niro in the doorway looking at uh, Joaquin. Very exciting. It's going to be a dark, cool movie. Very happy to be part of it. Does not change my feeling. Anyways, got a great show today. Speaking of, um, I, I think I can say nerd culture without people getting upset. I know some people think I'm a nerd. They call me a nerd because of my record thing or whatever, but I usually tap out, man. You know, I'm only as nerdy as uh, the, the amount of shit will fit in my house or where I get tired of looking at it. I get past a certain point and it's sort of like it, reality breaks in and says, what do you need all this shit for? Is this really your life? And I pull back. So you know what that makes me? Not a nerd because they go all in. Not judging, just is what it is. But maybe judging a little bit depends on what the, the nerd obsession is. But this guy that I talked to today, Dale Baran, uh, he wrote that book, man. He wrote that book that blew my fucking mind. There's been a couple of books that have blown my mind. Uh, it's called It Came From Something Awful. And it really is, it, the, re- the reason it coincides with this sort of weird pile on by the uh, MCU guys and women and men and whoever is involved with that. They're just their knee jerk reaction to uh, any sort of sort of name calling or criticism about their weird corporate addiction to fantasy. Uh, It was very educational. And I fucking I dug I dug the interaction because after I read this book, uh, it came from something awful. It taught me about the whole world of 2chan, 4chan, Reddit, subreddit, Tumblr. It taught me about the sort of uh, all that's been going out there, on out there in those platforms, in those chat rooms, you know, in that world of uh, disconnected, disassociated, you know, primarily men on the chans and how that, uh, you know, evolved out of a, a kind of, a, you know, nihilistic disposition into uh, meme culture into insult culture online and then how it ultimately manifested into mainstream culture through conspiracy theories and through um, propaganda stuff because some of them were turned out by the alt-right and by uh, old school nazis but a lot of them were just out there to fuck shit up it also talks about how it kind of uh, sprouted off into the two versions of anonymous the politically active anonymous and then the hacking anonymous and how you know tumblr was sort of a uh, an antithesis to what was going on in these kind of more toxic cha- it was it just look if you're my age maybe you're proficient maybe you know what's going on but you know i am a i just used a computer i don't live in it and I don't know how to live in it, and I don't know about all this stuff, but it all fucking adds up. You know, it's a major piece in the puzzle of what happened in 2016 and also what happened to youth culture, and it all started with fantasy. It all started with anime on one side. The whole thing was an education to me, and it really sort of shows where and who was driving culture, not unlike the pushback I'm getting from the collective, the MCU 
collective, which is, you know, I, I get it that, you know, that they're now empowered, but they're certainly not the underdog in terms of, you know, the effect on culture and whether or not monoculture, really, Disney-run monoculture when it comes to films. The idea is like, yeah, okay, great. They're, they're well-made something. But, uh, and it's like, you can tout this kind of like, well, that director is a genius or this actor is great or whatever. And they're doing these movies. The payday is one thing, but you've got to figure out how to bend your talent into this very limited world, you know, that appeals to this, this fan base and they're virulent and there's no question about that. And if they don't believe they are, they can just look at their reaction to any sort of criticism or it wasn't even, I guess it, it sure it was name calling, but it wasn't off but anyway you you know to each their own i think that was the the primary theme it's like well you got to make fun of things that people like that people love and i'm like well when that thing is a a a sort of monoculture sort of you know juggernaut of uh of a very select context of entertainment that uh just plows through everything else and is oddly relatively limited even if it is a universe, it, it's worthy of criticism, even if people love it so much that they're willing to do Disney's bidding because they're so grateful that never again will they ever have to be ashamed of liking their comic books. So Dale Baran, the guy who wrote this uh it came from something awful. It's one of the most... Look, I've done a few interviews like this in my career here on this show, okay? I interviewed Sam Canonez for uh, his book called Dreamland about the opium epidemic, which was fucking mind-blowing because it was so engaging to me and revealed so much about the toxicity and the culture that created the epidemic and the drug companies and the... American Medical Association. I just, it was one of those books that explained so much and gave me a context. Fantasyland recently with Kurt Anderson. That was another one that was really about the history of magical thinking in America that gave what we're going through a context. And this is the same type of book. Uh, it came from something awful, it gave me a context to understand those worlds of online worlds that created toxic trolling. And then, you know, later influenced culture and also, you know, generated the army of unfuckable hate nerds, which is, uh, you know, what I call them. Uh, And there's a little pushback on that, too. But I don't know. The army of unfuckable hate nerds have done a lot of damage and they continue to. Some of them are Russian. But it just gave me context to understanding because there was no way I could have understood it. There was no way. And and now I do. And that was because of uh, of Dale's book. How about an email? No subject. Dear Mark, despite your many warnings that Steely Dan would eat my brain, I gave Can't Buy Me a Thrill a listen on Spotify and let the album play through in its entirety while I did housework. How bad could it be? Fast forward to my Monday morning Los Angeles commute where suddenly my Spotify is recommending Alan Parsons Project, Doobie Brothers. Suffice to say that Dan ate my algorithm. Keep up the good work. I love your podcast with all my heart. The Dan ate her algorithm. I'm sorry. I am so sorry, Julie. I, I didn't mean for that to happen. But, uh, you know, it is kind of deep, right? Jesus. 
No subject. Again, dear Mark Marin, thank you for helping me fall asleep when I have felt the burden of anxiety, sadness, loneliness, and resentment. Your words, filled with anger and cynicism, have made me feel a little more lighthearted at night. I wish you the best. Mark, I like when people use me to go to sleep, too. Isn't that crazy? It's like it's like a Ritalin effect. I love you, people. So Dale Baran fucking schooled me, educated me, wrote this great book about the shift from fantasy into toxic mainstream culture that helped crumble our political system and, you know, make everybody feel like garbage. He, he got to the source. And it all started in fantasy. It all started in fantasy. It all started in fantasy. They just like anime. They just like Marvel. They just like making stuff up that hurts people. They just like doing it to each other. And now it's leaked. It's leaked. The lizard portal is open. This is me talking to Dale Baran about his book. It came from something awful, which I think is required reading. So you pronounced your last name Baron? Uh, I say Baran. Baran? Yeah. Like French? Like Baran? Or yeah, it... it was Baron when my dad came here. and he. Uh, Where'd he come from? Uh, the Czech Republic or Czechoslovakia at the time. Oh, really? Did he, was, did he come here in the 70s? Um, in the 60s, mm. so he escaped. Did he have family there still? Uh, yeah. All the way through it? Yeah, my, wow. uh, his mother was still there. He was very sad when his mother died. Like, it was- Because he couldn't go back? Yeah, it was exactly like that, where he was really furious. He uh-huh. was, like, really angry. Um, For, like, your entire childhood? Y- yeah, I mean, essentially, like, he had a good humor about him, but he was really mad at the communists. He was really mad at the Nazis. He remembered yeah. the Nazis. and um, Those are two fine uh, people. Yeah. Those are good yeah. villains. Yeah, exactly. So when he went back, he went back in, like, 91. I was too young. He didn't take me with him, but he just said that, like, he went back and everyone was like, "Oh, you're that's a ghost." Like some people got scared like cuz when he came back, <laughs> yeah, they like some people would jump because wow. they're like, "You disappeared." Wow. And when people did that, they just never talked about them again. So it was like they thought that he just got killed. Oh, so they yeah. thought, "Oh, I get it." Yeah, cuz it was that repressive. And your mom was from there too? Uh no, my mom was from here. She's uh, uh, on that side, like Ukrainian and uh, mm. and Polish, so still Slavic on that yeah. side as well. Uh, but their generation came one generation before, like in the like kind of old Baltimore folks who came in the the beginning of the nineteenth century. Baltimore, you grew up in Baltimore, yeah. So you've been now. This I first read your stuff when you wrote the piece about four chan. I don't know where you wrote that, but it got around, right? Right? Yeah. And like it was a sort of a, a, an eye opener for me. But you've been, you know, so you you you've been out here in L.A. before. You're not, you weren't essentially a journalist. No, not at all. I mean, I considered myself an artist and a writer first. Yeah. Um, what was your focus? You wanted to, you you sort of computer compelled. Right, yeah. yeah. So I really wanted to be a writer. I was writing novels that weren't getting sold and. Really early on in my career, right after I got out of college, I had made comics with a really talented friend of mine. Who's that? Uh, David Hellman. Uh, he's a visual artist, and he made 
a video game that everyone loves called Braid. Uh, yeah. And before that, we were making comics, and really, I think, on account of him, but I guess both of us, the comics were relatively successful. So then I started making comics for a while, but it was really like, oh, well, this is the... Uh, uh, the sugar and the medicine where I can I can write and yeah. if I draw. So I was making comics and then we were doing uh, cartoons. Um, but I really wanted to write that whole time. And so through that time, I was writing little essays that were kind of like Zizekian, like a little bit like that where yeah. I thought, oh, well, that Zizek kind of reminded me of my dad. It was sort of the same intellectual tradition. Yeah. And I was uh, into those concepts so yeah. i was writing these essays on tumblr and kids were into them though it was very weird i felt like i was kind of ruining my career by being angry and writing about socialism and like inequality and stuff uh -huh. um and pop culture um and so the 4chan essay came out of that it was just in that tradition where we are our, our, our uh pro our uh, cartoon for Cartoon Network, we had done a pitch and we had paid us money to develop it and that collapsed. And I was like, oh, well, I'll just write another essay. Uh-huh. Because uh, that's, I didn't expect, you know, I didn't get paid. I, I pitched it to a few places and they said no and then I just self-published it. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, so that's... And it got around. Yeah, that's where it, it came from, yeah. But the the thing is, like, I think the thing that blew my mind and some, some of the stuff I want to move through with this, with talking to you is that, like, you know, I'm 55, all right. So all this stuff to me, it was like, oh, my God, this is the the machinations. Like, you know, when I I guess the point is like when when news would break, like the, the ultimate end game of of this momentum that started with 2chan and moved through anime into into meme culture, into, uh, you know, kind of morally bankrupt uh, millennials to being co-opted by the alt right is that and, and the sort of evolution of their you know, engagement re reality being sort of non-reality until it hits reality. So by the time I saw, you know, news that, or news cycles move around some of the information, uh, you know, that came with the beginning of Trump and just before Trump, there was definitely a moment of like, where where is this fucking coming from? There's a whole world out there that I think was rooted in fantasy, but then sort of found its way into the mainstream. Right. And I... Yeah, I'll tell you honestly where it first dawned on me that something was fucked up. You know, what, the way you, I think it's the way you open the book. It, it's been a, a month or so since I read it, and I read it, you know, I was into it. Was that I started to see these, you know, these this footage of these protests that would happen between, you know, uh, alt-right or or white nationalists and, and Antifa. Is that how you say it? Antifa? Yeah, that's how I say it. And... You know, and I looked at when I looked at the people in the pictures. I'm like, mm. this is this is not an organized thing. These people don't look like they know each other. They're dressed kind of oddly. They don't look like they get outside much. It looks like sure. cosplay. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And and then like after I read your book, I was like, oh, it kind of was. Yeah. Like, but yeah. but the news media, right? You know, you know, is they exploit it, and I'm sure that the, the Trump administration knows to do that. Right. That it's sort of like this is really happening. Look at these social forces when really they're just sort of, you know, mobilized, you, you know, by a miracle, you know, computer nerds, right? Who are out there living this? You know, they they've made an impact on reality, and they're going to journey into it in these characters, right? I call them the army of unfuckable hate nerds. Yeah, that's a very good name. My editors were, were like, we should have said that. We should have named it that. <laughs> <laughs> why why yeah. did we? Oh, yeah. you, you heard that one? Yeah. <laughs> so, 
But I, I know in, in reading this stuff that, you know, this was your community to some degree. Mm-hmm. How old are you? I am 38. All right. So let's go back to when, you know, this start when because I'm not I, I'm not computer proficient. I don't live. I don't I'm not a fantasy fan. I don't sure. know about these worlds of of um, of what is it? Minecraft. And, You're so and, lucky. <laughs> and what's the other war one? Uh, World of Warcraft. Yeah, yeah. World of Warcraft. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't know about gamer culture. I missed it. I'm 55. I missed it. But you grew up in it. Sure. More or less. Yeah. Because you talk about going to these these conventions, right? Before when 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 the Chan community was sort of this esoteric Japanese obsessive obsessive community. Yeah, that's exactly right. So how did like so what was it like then? I mean, who were the people that who were the characters? Who were these this this tribe of people? Y- yeah. So uh, strangely enough, yeah, like I kind of saw them at the very beginning when uh, they first coalesced in the late 90s and then the early 2000s. Who, when, who are they? Um, so a lot of nerds on the internet. Yeah. Um, okay. And a lot of people who had really dropped out. So Something Awful, which came before 4chan and stuff. Something Awful, the name, it came from Something Awful. It's not just a, a name. The, something Awful is a board. R- right. Would it, you call it that? Is that what yeah, it's called? Yeah, it was a popular message board. And it was really devoted to self-hating nerds was how they called themselves, where they had dropped out of life. They were very nihilistic. And youth culture had gotten very nihilistic about dropping out, the sort of slacker 90s thing. But could you see it? I mean, were, you, were these your friends? I, I felt... Mean, to me, it was my youth culture, yeah, that I just didn't know why it was happening. It took me years to kind of figure so what, out. So what were you doing in it? What was your sort of focus? What was your thing, your nerd thing? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly with my friends was sort of very steeped in pop culture, and we would be kind of quoting pop culture, and we would kind of be into very dark, violent films and sort of transgressive. On the boards. Um, yeah, so the boards, I barely posted on something awful but i remember joining it like in high school or like early college or something and kind of being into like oh looking at weird stuff and looking at um dark stuff and then also comics so where does it all start so sort of laid out like you're talking to your father sure right so i can i can break it down in a nutshell so the the overview is that uh by uh 2003 uh something awful spawns 4chan which is this uh site which combines the sort of but um, what is 2chan? So 2chan uh, was a Japanese site that was yeah. devoted to otakuism and uh, this idea that first started in Japan that got imported to the United States yeah. where uh, young people really drop out of life and instead of climbing the hierarchy and like competing in school and jobs, they say, well, I'm just going to drop out of life and I'm going to consume stuff and I'm going to consume fantasy products and live inside that fantasy So world. this was a philosophical a manifesto of 2chan is that, you know, we're, we're screwed. The hierarchy's bullshit. You know, they, there there is no opportunity. It's nihilistic in its nature. And we're going to sort of live alone and engage with each other on this platform yeah it was a sociological problem in japan and, where, and and what was the focus it was anime right yeah it was anime so it was about so really the forces that created it were uh, life was very hyper competitive and you had to do a lot to kind of climb up out of your parents basement mm-hmm. um and then fantasy products and entertainment products were just expanding vastly people love it what right. people hear there's their fetishized japanese fantasy and 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 animation products. Yeah, that's exactly right. So it, it that those dynamics, the mm-hmm. same things then happened in the U.S. Now, what was the like? Now, let, let's just like search. Let, let me just explain to me the sexual component of two chan. 
Or did that not happen? There was a an element of people fantasizing sexually about cartoon characters. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, there was sort of a romantic attachment to uh, these men. They didn't get out much. It was mostly men. And yeah. Young men. Yeah, young men. And they, uh, they lived their sexual fantasy life in uh, cartoons and video games and... Uh, and anime and things like that. So th- that was really part of it, that those products, uh, it's really about uh, selling power to powerless people. So uh-huh. that's sort of the violent action part. Right. And then selling sexual fantasies. So um, they're like, well, I'm not going to do that in real life. I'm going to do the much more unsatisfying thing of just getting all my gratification and pleasure through those commodities. And And like, you know, just at the core of it, I think what becomes interesting through the evolution of what you write about is that you, you know what this is doing to uh, any sort of genuine perception of reality right what that might be whatever that might be is that you know when you you know commit to engaging with people sort of anonymously or people you know by their screen name and you have this communities around these different things is that there there is no genuine sort of physical social interaction and and it sort of tends to it seems that it breaks down your ability to, to, to like like to function in the real world to a degree when your entire social life and, and moral universe is built around this engagement around this specific thing and and sort of onanism uh, right. uh that that you know you're kind of retarding yourself somehow yeah uh it's deeply unhealthy and it got unhealthier as it went along so at first you know so when 2chan gets here it becomes 4chan yeah that's exactly right so the american import is 4chan and it was started by a something awful user a 15 year old kid who was sort of an 15 year old kid yeah 15 year old kid who was living in new york so something awful was already existing yeah uh, something awful existed i think in 1998 or 1999 so that this was the one that you sort of looked at this was a a um a site that was primarily about you know offending people in the community Right. And and sharing, you know, violent memes. It, it it was sort of the beginning of meme culture, correct? Yeah. Uh something awful in 4chan more or less invented the internet meme. Uh so it was banned on something awful because they thought it wasn't funny enough to sort of repeat a joke and change it. They yeah. felt like, Oh, you have to be more original. Right. Uh, and then 4chan really popularized it. So um that idea The of, meme idea. Right. The idea of like replicating a joke over and over and kind of polishing it that way and, and yeah, it really came off of Fortune. And in these people, the ones who were pulling clips and pulling pieces from movies, it, it, it the way you frame it was it was a way of of appropriating and and turning mainstream culture on itself, right? Yeah, they felt really powerless that they were sort of at the bottom of this like sea of psychic garbage, which was the internet, which was all this marketing culture, and they had all of these different products and video games and anime, like all tugging on their value system. And Americans were a little more wary of it than the Japanese, so that they already knew from counterculture and slacker culture that it sucked. So they're like, oh, well, it sucks and really there's nothing to do. So we're just going to play with it. We're going to gain some autonomy over it by kind uh, of reversing the flow and letting um, instead of the screen sort of dictating what's on it, you get to like take all that stuff and, and make your own jokes out of it. Right. So you deconstruct it and turn it on itself and then, you know, you 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 share it. And a lot of times it, it what I thought was interesting about the beginning of this, and, and maybe you were living it, but it seems that there's, you know, the generational difference between, you know, young people who are who are completely computer proficient 
and and their parents is profound. So whatever values were happening in the dining room or in the house, really it seemed that what you're documenting is that the the complete disconnect Mm -hmm. between, you know, old school American values or things that parents can even teach their kids in any practical way or even school mm-hmm. was now like, you know, my, I don't know what my kid's doing. He's down the hall on the computer, <laughs> sure. you know, turning his brain into nihilistic, immoral garbage. Sure. And there's nothing <laughs> that they can do about it. Like there's a, there's like, I don't even know that they would know. That was the one <laughs> thing that struck me is that, you know, there's this value system that they're, that the kids are essentially fighting against. Right. Consumer culture and just right. you know mainstream uh, values right. that they they're not even existing in the same world as their parents in the living room. Right. Yeah. And so what happened really is that that gap that you're describing got wider and wider. So my generation, we kind of saw this labyrinth of addictive internet and all the interesting things about the internet sort of grow up around us. But then the next generations were born into it. Really. Yeah. So ours. How old are they now? Those that generation. They're like nineteen twenty, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they inherit it from the sort of the culture that ours built on the internet. But back then, it was yeah, it was about a counterculture. It was sort of about getting agency over it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it kind of slowly reversed itself so that as you spent more time, the next generation says they just spent all their time on the internet and the internet got more addictive, got more fascinating. The games got more expansive, better. Uh, it was really just, it was sort of hyper otakuism when that stuff in the 90s were dropping out. It was really like you could live your whole life there more than ever. In the 90s. Um, that That's like now in the, right. in the 2000s. So, right. So yeah, so 4chan... Um, uh, what happened is that they created memes, which was really sort of a rebellious, kind of fun counterculture, and yeah. they felt very powerful. They felt like, oh, they were affecting society, and they were also created trolling collectives, which well, were let's 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 talk about that. So, so when they they were affecting society, when when do you sort of mark? So, what are you doing at this point? When do you start to realize personally that this shit is going bad? Um, I would say. Uh, they had a, a very, between 2008 and 2011, they had a very successful sort of far left liber- libertarian hacktivist collective, which I, I liked, I, I was a fan of. Um, it was a, a, a really rebellious, um, sort of interesting way. So to, it's sort of punk, the extension of punk rock. Yeah, yeah they had reversed their uh, otakuism where it, it totally flipped and they said, oh, we're very powerful. Uh, we're going to fight corporations. We're going to fight um, with anonymous governments, right? Yeah, that's anonymous. Yeah, and it's pro democracy. Right. And then that collapsed. Those people got arrested. Uh, and by 2014 or 2015, I'm I'm realizing that they switched back to this really deep, worse otakuism, which is otakuism. Sort of, I guess that's my own term for yeah. it. They have their own terms like otakuism, in, referring <clears throat> back to the two chan. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, How do you define it? Um, dropping out. Like and okay, nihilistically right. living through the computer screen. Well, well I think that what, what's interesting, though, in in the jump from that Japanese model, where the the cultural expectations uh, sociologically are much more intense. Uh, you, you know, there is a hierarchy there and expectations. Where the right. way it translates to America, which I thought you documented very well, is you know that sort of heightened understanding of consumer culture and right. realizing that you know the future that is presented to you and the possibilities that are presented to you in the American capitalistic model are are mostly bullshit for most people right yeah. and that you you claim in the book that a lot of these younger people were hip to that that they were fucked out of the gate 
That's exactly right. Yeah. They kind of knew that life didn't really offer them fulfilling work. That's sort of an old philosophical complaint that goes back a while, right? That you're like, oh, well, it's really hard to be an artist. It took me years of dropping out to, to be an artist. But even these right? guys that with these basic computer skills, that, that the best thing we were going to hope for is some sort of elevated cubicle job yeah. that might get them a good salary, right. but- would would you know drain them of their life force and the expectations would be limited right yeah like the complaints in the 90s were like oh even if we do this yeah we're just going to get shuffled into a cubicle and then now right it just got worse and worse right the options that you you take on more student debt you you get less money uh, there's not even those jobs left so so uh, this is what American otaku, otaku, how do you say it? Otakuism? Otaku, yeah. Otakuism? Sure. Okay, so that's how that kind of, that's how, that's why it stuck. So it, it took a, it took a, a sort of a, an intellectual, you know, jump and, and a cultural assessment that was a little broader than the Japanese trip. Right. To really take in the, the American kind of existential uh, predicament for younger people. Right. Now- who, when you say a fifteen-year-old started something awful, was, you know, that was that was pre four chan. Yeah, I mean, most of the book is about four chan and the uh, something awful. Uh, the founder was in his twenties, uh, so four chan was founded by the fifteen-year-old. Now, when it, when you say in his twenties, so this guy, you know, w- what does he set out like? Because you, you talk a lot about how the site is managed and what what is what'll pass and what won't pass. There's a a sort of autonomous kind of like a collective vibe to it where there are no rules, but right. but eventually something bad happens and then there are a few rules. Right, yeah. So um, the the first one, Something Awful, is relatively well um, moderated. So there are rules there. Yeah. And then 4chan- What really, were the rules? Uh, just rules against harassment, rules against illegal content. Right. And then uh, the enforcement was fairly good and it got better over the years. Uh-huh. Um, but 4chan, uh, because it- it took over that mantle of something awful because it had much worse moderation. There well, were less what was rules. The, what was the, how, how did that sort of happen? How did 4chan, we'll get back to Anonymous, but how did, you know, what was the movement that said, well, fuck something awful, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're, we're doing this now. How, how did, who was that guy? Um, so, yeah, that was the, a 15-year-old kid and his friends who said they were on something awful and they said, well, uh, we're getting banned or we want something even sillier and stupider. Uh, and the way that the 4chan worked, it was a little more fun and easier to post on. So they created their own separate site, which was 4chan, which is sort of a different style of message board, which is a little more fun, uh, easier to post images. Uh, and over there, also that culture they inherited of really cynicism and dark jokes um, and really lack, and then much more lax moderation, uh, there was sort of this, in that culture, there was this race to the bottom of like, who can be, uh, the, the, the something awful uh, um, founder put it to me, like uh, there was a, a competition to see who could be the most fucked up piece of shit possible. And they were all winning, all of them referring to the 4chan guys, right? So uh, this idea that like, you're gonna make, you're gonna do the worst shit there. Uh, and it's really just gonna be this chaotic free for all. Um, and at so, 4chan. Yeah, so between 2003 when it was founded and 2008 when they really started their hacktivist movement and the culture flipped for a little while, uh, it was really about competitive transgression, about like just posting weird garbage and jokes. And, 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 her, and, and you, know, you know, the worst sort of, you know, uh, racist, sexist, yep. uh, uh, de- uh, uh, completely, you know, morally bankrupt images, yep. violence. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, bordering on illegal. Yeah. And and so w- w- what what struck me about that was that this is a large community. You're talking about thousands of mostly young men. Yes. Who are are basically voluntarily 
you know, through, you know, anonymous names. Yes. Uh, destroying any possibility of them having a moral compass in the real world. Yeah, that's exactly right, that it really screwed them up, that you can't that, kind of absorb that. And, and, that, and that, that was the beginning of troll culture, was that they would do it to each other and get a big kick out of it, right? Like, you know, oh, you got me, that, that annihilated my entire sense of self. I feel like I'm bathing in that, but now yeah. I'm going to get you. Yeah. And that was the nature of, of what you know, became troll culture in, in the mainstream. But initially, it was just a bunch of, of nihilistic, cynical you know, frustrated young men trying to uh, to out disgust and destroy each other through memes and and sayings. Yeah, that's exactly Jokes. that's exactly right. Yeah, and they were powerless, like young teenagers, young men trying to outcompete each other and uh, humiliate each other, and they were all behind the screen, so they knew there weren't really any consequences. And, and simultaneously, most of these people were involved with role playing games. Yeah, it it definitely clicked into that culture, the nerd culture, hanging out in video games. But there was this idea that, like, they were self-hating. So the idea that you would leap into escapist worlds and fantasy worlds and live that way. Yeah. um, The troll culture was about destroying those fantasy worlds and saying... Oh, so they were against them, too. Yeah, so they're saying, well, we live on the internet. We spend all our time on the internet. We've dropped out, and we're nihilists who are just going to spend waste, throw away our lives, boil away our lives on the internet. And yeah. if someone else is like in a fantasy world doing that, I'm going to go over and destroy their experience. That was the troll. So, oh, right. So, so the original target was the fantasy nerds. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So, like, so this was like th- these were the armies of uh, online armies yeah. of of young men mostly. Uh, this was the battle. It's like, you know, the nihilist versus the fantasy nerds. Yeah, that's exactly right. So if they were like, you know, they were middle-aged women who were going on Second Life, which was like uh, a, a place where you could have a different fantasy world online and like live a totally different life through the computer. Yeah. Um, and they would go on there and they would uh, just destroy the, the, you know, like drop memes everywhere and make gross jokes and like put uh, racial slurs in there. And the same thing with little kids who were like there on like a fantasy Lego style place that was run that like some corporation was collecting money from the kids. Yeah. to like Then they would raid it and, and destroy it. That was what they delighted in doing. They hacked into it? Or uh, you yeah, didn't have to hack into it. You just do it through the comment boards. Uh, yeah, they would uh, find some ex- way to exploit it. They would hack it so that they would figure out, okay, well, if we do this, we can actually create 7,000 new avatars, t- characters, and, and you know, totally overwhelm the people that are in there or whatever. Uh, that with, sort of thing. With garbage. Yeah, which has garbage jokes and, and memes. And, and, did, like, they, and they succeeded in ruining a lot of people's fun. Yeah, that's exactly and right. And now they've yeah. ruined the world's fun, the yeah. evolution. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's exa- and then they, but they realized that was, in, they were actually had a lot of power online. So they started doing it to neo-nazis around 2007 well, yeah well let's go back so let's go the next the next turn was that you know what what do you see happen with troll culture to where you know was there a leader that said you know why don't we apply this to anti-corporate uh, you know a uh, more progressive uh, m- methodology like you know the the difference between the two anonymous is the original anonymous which mm-hmm. was uh, a hacker culture of of progressive uh, activists, right, and that's where you know you were like, well, now this seems to be going somewhere, right? I, as a creative person, yeah. Now, but but when you're talking about this troll culture, I mean, we're talking about 
tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people involved in this, correct? Yes. Yeah, 4chan, by that by 2010, it was the second most popular message board or uh, by some counts online. So one of the most 4chan. successful sites. So, yeah. so 4chan, by 2010. Now, yeah, I'm a grown-ass man, and that's like nine years ago, so sure. I'm in my 40s, sure. and I don't even know what that is. And, sure. and meanwhile, what's percolating there right. is this sort of undoing of, 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 of culture in a way. Yeah, that's exactly right. So all of this culture that's influencing everyone, memes and so forth, it's coming out of there. Okay, so what, what changes you know, for that crew, for that army of monsters uh, to, 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 to where enough of them decide to do something you know, proactive? Um, yeah, they realize they have a lot of power. Okay. Um, they realize they started pranking uh, neo Nazis, uh, a neo Nazi named Hal Turner, and they they essentially um, hacked him so thoroughly that they revealed that he was an FBI informant. Um, uh, and so by 2008, they realized, okay, well, we're this collective of millions of kids, or tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of kids. We're we have some skilled hackers in our yeah. group, and we have a set of values, and we can enforce those values. And that came out of uh, weirdly enough, um, Tom Cruise post. Uh, there was a video of him uh, talking, sort of ranting about Scientology, um, and uh, the Church of Scientology got it removed. And 4chan was very angry. They said, "Oh, we love funny stuff on the internet. We love internet freedom. We all agree on that value." Yeah. Uh, so they went to war with the Church of Scientology, sort of linking up with older groups that had been doing that for a long time. Uh, and they were relatively successful. Uh, so I went out uh, to their first protest. That was the first anonymous protest where around the world they said, okay, Scientology, on a certain day, we, they pretend it, they're like, we are this powerful international group of power f- of hackers. And on a certain day, we're going to come out and protest. You're going to see thousands of us in front around the world, all your churches, all your temples. And this, But that was like, they didn't know. that They were just talking shit, right? Uh, that's what they promised and it happened that that indeed like they decided that it would be so funny it was partly like it was a real life raid so what they had been doing in virtual spaces and yeah. in kids games and stuff they said well let's just do that in real life let's all go out on a certain day uh, let's wear a mask uh, and they chose the Guy Fox mask, the anonymous mask, and they said, we'll pretend like we're this horrible or we're this incredible, powerful group of international hackers, which in a sense they were, in a sense they weren't. They were But they, were, they didn't exist in the real world, yeah. uh, like in the, in, in the world of visceral reality. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like they, they, they didn't go outside. So this is like a big day. Yeah, it was a huge, yeah. Like everyone, <laughs> I did not think they would show up, right? Yeah. I was like, this is unprecedented. Where they did meet at anime conventions, at my old anime convention in Baltimore, but this idea that they would suddenly become the opposite of nihilist. They so, would be like, we're politically engaged, we have a value system, and we're going to fight for it, right? The op, right? Like the total mm-hmm. opposite. But but you remember these kids from anime conventions yeah. kind of slinking around and looking at tables of toys and whatnot. Yeah, that, yeah. That's exactly right. That they would uh, come and meet at the anime convention. They would all sing uh, the Fresh Prince of Bel Air uh, theme song in the but they, rounds. But or, there yeah. was an innocence to it. Yeah, they were goofy kids goofing off. They were in costumes, right? Right. Uh, so when they go out for the protests, they're the same thing. They dress up as the same avatars that they had raided the virtual spaces in. It's very goofy. They're cracking jokes. They're saying memes. Uh, but at the same time, no one knows what's happening, right? Like I interview the Scientology guy across the street, and he's like, "These are terrorists. They're coming." 
coming to destroy us. They hate our our religious freedoms, um, and they were in a, intimidated. They um, the press picked it up, and they're like, "Wow, this international hacktivist group that's very powerful." They were pretending to be an international society of secret hacktivists, um, and but what they were really was the same. Uh, gr- uh, anonymous groups of trolls that hung out on 4chan and they were named anonymous when they were just a trolling group in 2006 and 2007 they called themselves anonymous so they when they were monsters yeah when they were just goofy yeah, monsters yeah, yeah, destroying yeah. people's experience online they called themselves anonymous okay. with a capital a and then after the scientology thing they're like well we've now we're you know we mean something yeah and we've convinced the press that we exist that it's real and so that that mask became the face uh, they were like that. That's who we are. We've convinced people that that's who we are. Yeah. Um, and it really just took off. Um, so we'll be that. Yeah. There was a little bit of a lull, but by 2010 and 2011, uh, when the Julian Assange WikiLeaks stuff happened, yeah. uh, they got reengaged and they said, "We will fight for Julian Assange. We're going to take down PayPal and Mastercard who took over, uh, who took his funds. We're going to attack them uh, online, take down the sites." And they did. Yeah, they they did. They it was sort of semi successful, but really successful for uh, coalescing the group back together. And there were some really skilled, powerful hackers who um, then went on to um, sort of fly this flag of internet freedom and pro-democracy. They interfered uh, or helped the um, revolution in Tunisia and the Arab Spring. That right. Was, they just, that was part of what they did. And they still exist uh, to some extent, but uh, the FBI got very interested, very involved, and really crushed them, really... Uh, arrested all of the principal members those guys went to jail there's the a lot of them were in england and uh they are now out of jail but um jerry jeremy hammond uh one of the anonymous members who got arrested then he uh in the u.s he's still in jail um so yeah that that was sort of so, broke the back of the movement right so this like yeah when reality the laws yeah. of reality uh whether you agree with them or not you, you know there was real consequences so the yeah. jail wasn't your self-designed jail in the the in the one bedroom apartment or you're in your parents house right it was now you know now that you've ventured out into the real world right you know and had real impact that you know the real laws uh, apply uh but like so so this was you know the 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 mindset that you know coalesced these these, these troll armies who who had, you know, sort of uh, cynically uh, were 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 just outdoing themselves with disgusting things online. You know, now you know took you, you, really they they the, the sort of gamer approach to start. Now the game is the actual world, and you know we've we've shown this show of force. We all right. uh, as a goof, we all went out. We had our masks on. Now we've made an impact, and now we've made. And now, you know, some time goes by and we've made an impact again. And and, and there is some progressive change going on because of what we're doing. Yet, I imagine there's still a large faction of them are still monsters. Yeah, that's exactly right. There was a big split. Um, what was Oh, so there's a split in Anonymous. Yeah. I mean, to me, the uh, the Hacktivist Collective was very inspiring. I well, yeah, could, I think yeah. everybody thought it was kind of amazing. And I think people of my generation were like, what is this? Yeah. And you sort of explain it. So... Okay, so what happened? So this is about where you become disillusioned. Yeah, well, at at this point, I was kind of felt like I felt in the '90s the same way, where I felt kind of powerless and dropped out. Yeah, and so I thought it was really amazing that they had used the screen as a way and the internet as a way to sort of express autonomy to be powerful in, in a sense. Mm-hmm. But there was a split online, so half of them still felt like that old 
otaku nihilistic way where they said this idea that you're going to go out and pretend to make an effect is an illusion and in fact we we're still about trolling we're still about dropping out of life um and after they got anonymous got arrested around 2012 what happened was the 4chan there was a moral vacuum as one person described it um that all of those people had left, they had gone to other sites, or they had been arrested. So what was left were people who were more into otaku culture than ever, more into dropping out, deeper nihilists. And then the new kids joining these places, they had even less opportunity to move out of their parents for fulfilling work or fulfilling lives. So and, it's a new, younger generation. Yeah. These are 12 to 15, 16-year-olds. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're coming into like you know, some sort of well-defined you, you know deep bottom dark cynical you know uh, attack culture online yeah. attack culture yeah it's all well defined by the generation before them and by the guys who like now like 10 years have passed and like you're spending 10 years on 4chan right like okay it's funny in 1999 when you're on something awful funny in 2004 you're like haha i spent all my time on the computer life sucks then like okay six seven years pass you're still doing it right it just gets darker, right? That they're like, oh, this is well, my, yeah, because now my... they're grown up with grown up needs, yeah. and like now it's like you know the world of pedophilia enters the fucking yeah, right. When yeah. when they're fifteen, it's not a big deal. Yeah. But if they're doing the same thing for seven or eight years, yeah. yeah, then it's like, oh, this is my life. Nothing has changed. compounded loserness. Yeah, exactly right. But like I thought, what was also interesting in terms of uh, the, the the cultural power of the righteous anonymous was that you know in response i guess at the same time uh, if i'm remembering correctly that once anonymous became empowered politically that tumblr sort of you know surfaced as a you know a, a almost feminist reaction to it is that what happened yeah more or less that um tumblr was another uh site where memes were popular and you could share memes and it was image based so you could share a lot of images uh, and it turned into the female version in a sense where well, it's also built on you know the uh, the the feminine fantasy uh, world right so the, the the girl nerds right and their desires which kind of you, you, you know kind of uh, have had to happen on its own because the other place was a cynical dark man's club but they right. there was another thing going on there Right. Yeah. There was sort of like this supportive community where everyone said, you know, if this is your thing, if this is what you're into, then we're going to support you. No matter what. Right. Yeah. So it became this very sort of delicate crystal tower of gender fluid, progressive fem uh, feminist values and, and a type of fantasy that wasn't uh, malignant. Yeah. So, um, right. And longer posting possibilities and ways to explore ideas and you know the way people could interact was to evolve a conversation around ideas right yeah so um uh it was a little more uh, it was very gentle and it was sort of about celebrating art and mm -hmm. uh, celebrating counterculture uh all of that was incorporated into it and a lot of it was really great a lot of it was really creative and interesting well i think what was interesting about it in and i don't know if you really put it this way in your book but in the same way that the trolls were making headway you know uh instigating chaos but also you know with political activism is that it seems to me that the intellectual conversations uh, around gender and sexuality that were happening on tumblr were also surfacing in the mainstream 
yeah. that that there was a cultural change that happened for, with my generation. You know, where wh- how do we source this? And it seems like a lot of the conversations around gender fluidity, uh, new feminism, and uh, sexuality were really on on Tumblr yes. b- before they entered into mainstream cultural conversations. Yeah, that's exactly right. Those were the issues that they were very interested in. Yeah. Since it was young women, they said, you know. Uh, my life outside is sort of deeply dissatisfying, and they were getting together to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, uh, can we use this feminist critique to understand what's happening? Uh, how, if I want to sort of escape the prison of being labeled in, of, the, of gender and, in, and all of the uh, difficulties that come with a woman, yeah. being a woman, can I do that? Is there a critical theory that allows me to do that? Um, I, I think a lot of the, the Tumblr ideas and culture are really great. Mm-hmm. Um, but the critique of it I have in the book is that it too was really wrapped up in fantasy. So then it became, well, I'm going to express uh, my freedom to choose and self-define and my through this cartoon or sort of like if I see it uh, happening in this film or then um, me living in the fantasy world, just like the otaku were living in the fantasy world, sort of being, buying all these commodities will then... Uh, set me free when in fact it too was a little bit of a, a prison or sort of distorted by that same process. Yeah. Well, I had this m- kind of mind-blowing reality experience where I happened to be in Madison, Wisconsin uh, at the same time that this big fantasy convention was there. I, c- I forget what it's called. Do you know what it's called? Um, uh, I'm not it, sure about the one in Madison, but you, God, they're everywhere now. But it, it, I think it was a primarily a, a fa- feminist fantasy. Y- oh, you know, okay. Uh, and you know, it was sort of dug in, but they were at my hotel and you know, and I was reading your book, and I'm like, I'm seeing <laughs> this. This is the manifestation right. of of this world, right? Uh, which was very, you know, sweet in a lot of ways. That right. you know, it seemed to be encouraging a, a lot of uh, personal expression through you know whatever you choose, right? You know, in terms of sexuality or or, or gender representation, right. and I could see it. <laughs> Yeah, that, right. but there was this sort of idea that th- this feeling I had was like these people, you know, this is their this is their once a year thing, right? Yeah, where they right. can go do this and be around each other. I'm sure yes. there's smaller meetings and whatever. Right. You know, it seemed like the petri dish was in, at home and online, and this was the outing, right? You did, right? Sure, yeah, that that certainly happens. Yeah, and they're bonding through products or whatever, right? And so you know, the critique that I offer in the book is that. Um, if you're really, really interested in cobbling together this mosaic of identity and self-defining and saying, you know, this, um, this is sort of what defines me and this too and this too, well, that maybe that's just inherently how human beings act. But in fact, a lot of these kids were trained through social media and through their experience on the computer to do that because that's what uh, made money to the social media sites. Tumblr was a f- for-profit site. So right. um, that sort of youth culture grew out of the framework of self-obsession that um, social media was sort of teaching these kids how to do. Right, and then once it gets onto Twitter or into Facebook and into my generation, you know, know, we don't know where to source it, but we feel that there's a a cultural momentum, both progressive and and anti-progressive happening. But, you know, for me, it was sort of mind-blowing that, you know, it had been percolating for a long time. So now what we have... You know, just to you know, be broad, is we have what's happening with Tumblr. We have what's happening with anonymous, you know, in the progressive way, and then mm-hmm. the small a anonymous in the horrible malignant way. And you know, these forces are all sort of around and making impact in mainstream culture and on the news and in the real world informationally. So, how does it go bad? Because when, when well, I mean, it was already bad in some levels, but right. you know, how does it become politicized? you know, into a, 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 a an army of people with, with a, a sort of 
uh, NCEL or, or a hard right uh, white supremacist agenda. Like when I first started seeing Pepe during the campaign mm-hmm. and seeing it everywhere, and I didn't even know what what hashtag MAGA meant, you know, at the be- sure, initially. Sure. And I just knew that the frog was there, and I'm like, what's this frog? Is this funny? You know, there's a frog avatar, you know, saying shitty things to me. What you know, what's with the the sort of consistency of uh, why why there are so many frogs around? Like so, so what happens to this world? Who who turns these kids out? Who pimps them out? Are, are they older Nazis? How does it how does it coagulate? Sure, yeah. So, um, am I make, am I jumping yes. too many steps? No, no. That you're we're right on time. Yeah, we're right. So around 2012, that's exactly what's happening. Um, so, uh, yeah, as we just as I described, that uh, there were the old four chaners who were left over, uh-huh. uh, who were getting sadder. And then the new kids flowing guys in, in their twenties, right? Yeah, and then the new kids flowing in who yeah. f- uh, who felt affected by the same dynamics, American otaku, right? Yeah, okay. Um, who were just dropped out of life? They were right, not, right? Um, down the hall from their parents. Yeah. I don't know what he's doing online. Sure, exactly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they that the culture just got worse and worse. Somehow, we every time it got worse, no one expected it. That that now you know with these older guys who are now aligning themselves with you know other types of monsters who definitely have an agenda. Right. You know, old school white supremacists who are now becoming savvy. Spencer and his crew, Richard Spencer and his crew are, are tech savvy. They come right. out of this world, and so now you've got these kind of completely morally shattered you know two generations yes. of them through jokes and and shitty behavior. Yes. And, and 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 then then uh yeah gamergate in 2014 really lifts the rock on it where they didn't know they were um a political coalition till then so gamergate was this uh harassment campaign that started on 4chan and then later moved to 4chan. can you explain exactly what happened in gamergate yes yeah, so there was uh, a video game developer that 4chan was obsessed over a female developer named zoe quinn who they they were harassing already a little bit, and then an ex posted a really angry screed against her, and they decided, just like in the old trolling days, they would target her, everyone would harass her, and it was really the biggest one yet. And instead of the like lighthearted, kind of silly trolling of 2006 and 2007, it was really virulent, um, more so than, I mean, that, that happened Violently sexist. Violently sexist. Um, and they seemed genuine, which was the other thing about it. Like, that was their new issue, right? It wasn't irony. It wasn't cruel nihilism. It's like, fuck her. Yeah, they were really, really mad. And so the question was, like, well, well, why? Who are these people? And it turns out that, yeah, they had dropped out of life so much that um, they felt, they they described it as said, oh, we don't like that she's bringing feminism to video games. And the idea was that, that they felt it, that was their last line of retreat, that they, oh, I live, I don't, I don't have a real life, but at least I have misogynistic video games to live. The Made fan- by men. Yeah, right. To live a fantasy of seducing women there. And that, that was their threat. That's the threat they panicked over. Um, and at the same time, they just really hated women. That It turns out that men who are in that environment, they just get more and more toxic. And the idea that like it's sour grapes, the idea that like, oh, uh, I can't get women. I'm not going to go outside and, and uh, have romantic relationships. Well, then that becomes like I hate women very easily. It's, it's weird because it strikes me that, that you know, you know, many of them, and I'm and I'm projecting. You know, have unresolved sexual identity problems. They have they're not socialized in any way with women or really other you know normal men. And so you know, this misogyny is born out of you know a a, 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 a like a, a virulent 
type of repression that, you know, this weird sort of thing of like they think that they have all the freedom in the world to to express their horrible views online and do whatever they want. And they may. But but their their sort of self-isolation has led to a type of repression of both, you know, identity and sexuality that that, of course, is going to cause a, a, a kind of eruption of fucking self-hate that is manifested through misogyny and, and homophobia. Yeah, that's exactly right. That um, this is sort of the new part that there was what's called a group think where if unhealthy people get online together, they encourage the bad behavior, whether that's. Well, you can find these niche you know, communities for anything. Yeah. Yeah, right. Like Thinspo was a Tumblr thing where women were being encouraged to be really thin, thin and anorexic or whatever. So uh, these new communities of young men were, were convincing themselves that they were on the right course. But it was they were a little fishbowl, right? It was like they were crammed themselves in this little corner of of uh, of really toxic thinking. And of course, if like if you just go outside, right, if you just break out of that, there's this whole world. Mm. But it's just this really cramped, tiny, claustrophobic way of thinking. And but they're also they're breaking like the the, the thing that sort of uh, becomes a an issue for me and and something that seems real is that you know the brain is fragile, right. and you know once you start fucking with those wires, those neural pathways that distinguish between you know, tr- you know fact and fiction and reality and fantasy, right. and you know and, and sexuality and violence. You know that it's it, it's sort of irreparable, you know, without yeah. a lot of work, and they're just yeah. doing it almost passively because they're so engaged. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, they're really doing harm to themselves. Right. They're really distorting themselves and just drinking poison essentially, and they know it, right? There's sort of there's always posts on the board where they're like, "I got to get out of here." My therapist says, "I got to go," but oh, really? Yeah, like they know that it sucks at the same time, and then and and at the same time they say, "Oh, well, I'm here forever. I'm doomed to to live this way. I'm to be this okay." So now you have this cauldron of misogyny and and um but you know when does you know where does the racism and anti-semitism fold into that after gamergate so what happens with gamergate it gets big news and and what what is the resolution of that so uh the takeaway which no one really realized is that all of these groups of young men marginalized young men realized they were a political coalition that they had a lot in common that they were anti-feminist they were anti-tumblr culture so yeah. all of that stuff that the left said you know uh, anti-gender uh, politics, right, and and that a lot is about anti-politically correct, right? Anti, yeah, right. right, and a lot of that uh, they they saw as like that's about bringing everyone else, all the other groups, up to the status of uh, cis white men, straight white men, and they said, oh well, we're we're straight white men, and we're on the bottom, right? So they really d- deeply resented that, even though you know there was a lot of valid arguments on on Tumblr for for yeah. doing that, obviously. Um, so yeah, they this 2014 by 2015 uh, Trump comes along, Gamergate peters out, um, and uh, Moot the Christopher Poole, the founder of 4chan, is now in his 20s. He leaves 4chan. He says, "Oh, it's for different reasons, but essentially the the, the Gamergate made 4chan turn on him." So there's a leadership vacuum. Yeah, and what happens is um, a lot of sort of fake dads and older men who are sort of from the first generation get on YouTube and say, "We're going to lead you." Uh, we're going to be the uh, people who are going to tell you uh, what your value system is. Uh, we'll sell you. Who are of, these guys? Uh, so Milo Yiannopoulos, Mike Cernovich. Um, there's others those I, guys. I won't name, right? Yeah. But those are the more prominent that became sort of. Where does Spencer fit in? Spencer um, was part of. He was a part of this other weird tradition of fake uh, intellectuals who were said. Um, who were really, he was such a hardcore Republican that he became uh, a fascist. Right. Um, 
and he really just um, jumped on this rising tide, like the like the other like Cernovich and, and Yiannopoulos. But he wasn't really a fortune guy. He uh, he just realized, oh well, this is the answer for these men, and that's what already what I'm doing. Uh, so he was really an opportunist in that sense. Okay, but Cernovich was a provocateur. Yeah, they, uh, Yiannopoulos and Cernovich made their name through Gamergate. They were Gamergaters. Uh, they were people who they filled the leadership vacuum in the misogynistic sort of white guy, you know, getting fucked uh, area. Yeah, and they're like, I'll tell these kids how to live. Um, I'll tell these kids how to be men. That's what Cernovich did. Uh, and so Yiannopoulos said, you know, he's like, what you're doing is great. You're dropping out, living this nihilistic lifestyle. Don't go get a girlfriend. Just wait for virtual reality to get better. That was Yiannopoulos' message. And Cernovich was, how to be a man. I'll tell you how to be a man. I'll tell you how to pick up women. I'll tell you how to be an alpha male because I know you guys are quote-unquote But he's not really males. even that, an alpha. He's right. not really, like, what is right. that guy? Right. I mean, yeah. So it's like the it's uh, like the tall- I'm risking the right. collapse of sure. my Twitter feed sure. right now. Uh, but it's it, like <laughs> the tallest of the dwarves, right? Like, right? That's exactly right. He's like, I am the most yeah. alpha loser there is. But right? I, I saw this weird, like, this was another revealing moment for, for me because I didn't know about the backstory, but I saw a video of of Milo- you know, you know, coming out of a place where there were a bunch of these guys waiting for him. Right. And, you know, he's very flamboyant. He's very out. He's clearly, you know, uh, uh, a showman of sorts. He, he was on to himself. Right. Uh, you know, he you know, he was uh, perfectly opportunistic. But, you know, he was out, you know, which can be sort of couched in some sort of progressive mode. But it's not. Yeah, right. Because the people he's talking to, they all wish they could be out, but they're not. But I just heard the mumblings and the teetering laughter the tittering of these guys, whoever was holding the camera, and I'm like, these are these these are these are ill-defined people, and and they you know they yes. don't go out much, and they're right. you know they're just excited to be around this guy's you know sexuality and his anger and his self-definition because they don't yes. have any. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, they're kind of filling in as those guys are filling in as father figures, or uh-huh. right. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, so that. Um, that's the first thing that happened is that uh, these men sort of took over the, the leadership of this huge group of marginalized men, yeah. uh, young men. And uh, where it clicked into Nazi ideology and far right ideology was, well, first of all, they in their crisis, they needed a lifeline of how to be. And turns out conservatism was their existential crisis as as adolescents and, and young adults. Yeah, uh-huh. and conservatism kind of gave this off-the-rack suit of values that mm. said, oh, well, you just behave like you behaved in the past, right? Or uh, this is how to be a man, raise a family, sort of the breadwinner uh-huh. uh, set was they needed- they, What they fought against, what, what they initially- exactly. right. The values that they initially realized were bullshit. Right, yeah, it came full circle, right? From nihilism right. To, right. to fascism. Right, so now they're like, we're on the margins, and what we're now dreaming of, especially the new ones, is being at the center of society. How mm. do you become a normal, breadwinner, middle-class guy? That's what I desperately want, but you have no money, you're in your mom's basement. Yeah. Right? So that conservative- Now, rights, the mom's basement thing becomes a, me- a working metaphor for any sort of self-isolation. Yeah, that's exactly right, right. right. Okay. Yeah, so, um, so that appealed to them, um, and then that- often pushed into, so if you look at what fascism is, uh, I use Hannah Arendt, um, who dissected it in the 30s, and it's really, uh, she describes it there. What the ha- totalitarianism. Right, right. Yeah. the origins of totalitarianism. She says, well, the one factor is that uh, capitalism had displaced a huge group of people to make them superfluous, sort of the throes of economics had pushed all these people to the yeah. sides, and they, they had no definition, right. which was what, ha- what was happening again with these these men. Yeah. Um, 
And then the other thing that happens is there's sort of this cruel-minded value system, which is sort of if you're not really thinking that much, you're not reading, that's the value system you inherit, which is sort of this social Darwinist determinism, which is... Yeah, and if right. you have people who are confident and, and they package uh, intellectual ideas in a tight way that gives you satisfaction emotionally and closure uh, intellectually, you just glom onto it. Right. Yeah. So these people were selling this idea that they say, oh, well, uh, life is this cruel social Darwinist hierarchy and um, there's alpha males and beta males and you have to be cruel and claw your way to the top. Uh And you should uh, admire people like Trump who are also sort of flattered at being this sort of cruel minded uh, business guy who perceives everyone as a competitor. And they said, oh, that makes so much sense to me. I'm on the bottom. It explains why I'm on the bottom. And so then it quickly became, oh, well, the way to get to the top is to displace these other people in this cruel system. Yeah, right. Yeah, like, um, it, it's it's very dark, right? Um, the idea is like, uh, you know, life isn't a zero-sum game, right? People, it, it, when people work together, they, they pull everyone up. But they perceived it as like, oh, it's a power hierarchy. And the people on the top of the hierarchy, well, they, they cheat it their way there. That's the minorities or whatever you focus on. And if I displace them, I'll get to the top. So, so shamelessly, sh- shameless corruption, shameless cheating, anything uh, by any means necessary. Right. You, and, you, 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 de- you destroy your, your competitors. Right. And they're so angry that they're on the bottom. They're like, what's the explanation? Why am I here? But Why? all right. this stuff, they're still living online. Yeah, that's exactly right. So they're absorbing it as an answer to their situation online. And so now we're like, I understand this part of it. So tell me where where anti-Semitism, racism and, and Pepe the Frog sort of take hold. Sure. So the racism really grows out of that idea that, uh, oh, we're on the bottom. Oh, the white because, people. Right, I got right. that. Well, uh, and then, same and with then, anti-Semitism? Yeah. The, the, it's, that the Jews run everything. Right. Exactly. It's a cat. It's a like sort of like- They're the oh, puppet masters. Right. Exactly. And of course- So the are, blacks and the Latinos and the women are taking our jobs and the Jews are deciding who gets what. Yeah. That's ex- that's what they think. And right. then the other part is that they're people without identity, people who out, without context. And so they're, they say, oh, well, I'll use- the last desperate attempt is say, oh, my whiteness provides my identity. Who are my friends? All the white people, right? right. So that they find sort of like solidarity because they're so out, uh, so alienated. Now, how does Bannon step in? Do, do Bannon manages Milos because yeah. Milos is at Breitbart and Bannon seems some sort of, he sees some sort of rising star because of his odd uh, sort of demeanor given his sexuality and you know Bannon having some weird psychological intuition you know sees him as somebody who is going to do the footwork for the new trump army yeah that's exactly right mm. so uh bannon uh milo's working for bannon uh and at breitbart right and they yeah. realize gamergate this gamergate coalition is there that it, it loves trump because trump also sort of says uh to these men i'll be i'm a winner but i'm also sort of this beta loser and I'll, I'm working for losers. I'm the big outsider yeah. who's going to make you win again. Uh-huh. Um, and they like the word winning. Yeah, exactly Before. right. Right. Because like, who that is that message to but losers, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, this somewhat grassroots campaign is then uh, then exploited by Bannon and Yiannopoulos. And Bannon gives Yiannopoulos a million dollars to go on a bus tour called the Dangerous Faggot Tour. Yeah. Um, and says, you know, go bring this to life. Go bring these guys out. Go campaign for Trump. And that happens. And it's he's such a troll as he calls all this stuff from the chans that it's just a, 
a violent disaster. Yeah. So what occurs is that he goes to these colleges on the West Coast first, and there's shootings, there's stabbings, yeah. people attack him, and that turns into the riots at Berkeley, the so-called Battles of Berkeley. And that's the, and, and a lot of the, 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 the acting agents in that are what's left of the politically active anonymous that is somehow tied to Antifa as well. Um, there are loose associations. Right. One of the anonymous members uh, was Antifa way back in the day. Yeah. And uh, certainly, as now this split has occurred, it's strange. Yeah, the, the remaining an- anonymous members have fought very virulently against the fascist elements. So what and what Trump has been able to do post-election and even a little pre was that. So once this stuff sort of enters the real world through these protests, which is not. You know, it's not like the 60s where there's a, a coalescing of, of uh, righteous activism. It, it's it's strange fantasy theater, a lot of it. I mean, it has real consequences, but he's able to, and the power structure is able to play it off as, you know, actual either terrorist threats or, or threats to democracy when right. when they all seem to be quite theatrical. Uh, obviously, there are real consequences, but even in Charlottesville, that ragtag assembly of, you know, old school white nationalists and KKK people with these young white shirt wearing Spencerites who didn't again like not unlike the the Scientology protests didn't really look like they were socialized or gotten out much and they were having real consequences and killing people in real life right yeah I mean you saw the disparity there between what they expected sitting behind their screens and then their their gap of reality testing when they actually got there and they looked ridiculous with the tiki torches and murderous Mm. Um, yeah and they were performing they realized that oh well how successful our event will be is how much it's covered in the press, what happens behind the screen, what happens online afterwards. And and the monster in charge, he he, he played right into him. He knew, see, Trump is intuitively political and self, you know, in, in, in about survival. So his instincts are to play on the side of the losers who he's going to make win. Yeah, that's exactly right. It, it was really disgusting how he just refused to disown them just because they supported him. But but in, in electing them, though, the Russian troll event is something that is outside the parameters of the book, but that is happening at the same time. Yeah, there's some slight connections um, where... Uh, uh, there are uh, Russian trolls at the same time hacking Hillary's email and stuff yeah. like that. And um, the hacked emails are used to create, Cernovich uses them to create uh, fake conspiracy theories around Hillary yeah. and to spread misinformation and troll that way. Because he realizes that um, the trolling collectives and all these men online will believe anything. So, yeah, there's yeah some vague connection. There's some some connections there. But there, there's a there may not be an intentional unity, but everyone was operating in the same momentum right and it's deep as you said it's deeply confusing right it felt like reality the internet was leaking into reality right that woman well for my generation it was you know i don't know that we necessarily a lot of us are older that they made the connection to the internet it was just sort of like what is happening right look what's on the news there's a problem right uh these kids are protesting and this is their nazis and there's these other elements and like certainly Fox News is not giving any backstory to where this they want to deny the goddamn Russian troll operation that have false information propaganda right uh, you know uh, intrusion on our on our election so they're not getting any backstory there CNN's not giving any in-depth backstory like your book is I mean I for me in terms and I'm not a dumb guy your book was you know the the thing that you know made me understand it I mean 
Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, you you the, you researched it well. You lived it to a certain degree when you were younger. This is your world. But how is anybody going to cover what we just covered in two minutes? <laughs> there are ways to get present. I mean, that's, I guess, my burden now when I go on other shows and they don't give me yeah. this expansive time like you. They're like, all right, encapsulate it in two minutes. Um, yeah, because it, but it's like when you lay it out like you do in the book, I mean, you can see, you know, that this is a, a cultural, political, you know, um, psychological issue about our system and about you know people you know younger people and about the the uh the nature of ideas and the brain and you know online and reality i mean right. like it's it didn't happen out of nowhere right right so i i use to put it in a nutshell i just use those underlying dynamics that created the whole thing which is uh, there's a lot of kids out there who have no access to fulfilling housing, all the real needs, right? That society is supposed to provide yeah. fulfilling housing, fulfilling work, um, uh, f- education, health. Like not, we don't, our generation doesn't have any of those, but like all of the fake needs, all the garbage that you don't need, society is great at providing you with that, right? They, you can play video games and drop out all day. It's really easy to do that. It's yeah. really easy to live in these expansive screen worlds. Yeah. So when those two elements combine, you get this. You get people who are really angry at the status quo, young people who are really dropped out, really nihilistic, entrenched in fantasy. Lots of them. Yeah, just hordes of them. Well, I mean, I think that's what you're seeing now that Trump is is president, and now he's... It's just that when you have uh, these defined... People who define themselves as incels, or, or sort of... Yeah, because these guys, some of these guys who are going out and shooting people in the name of, of immigration, you know, anti-immigration, anti-Jewish, anti-black, whatever it is... They're, they're, some of them are those 19 and 20 year old you yeah. know, kids again who, yeah. you know, who have collapsed their ability to see, you know, consequences or to, see, they're like, they're like uh, involuntary Manchurian candidates Yeah, that, exactly right. that, you know, that get activated and, and that, you know, the, 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 the line between fantasy and reality doesn't exist and they go out with their fucking guns and, you know, and I guess it seems like they're willing to face the consequences or see themselves as martyrs, right. uh, you know, or see themselves as heroes online. So I think that the age that this has evolved into once they put their man in charge, which is Trump, is that now, you know, there is an encouragement in an American authoritarian situation. You're not going to need thought police. You're not going to need a broader sort of... Uh, armed enforcement of ideas when you have these guys ready to pop at any kind and and right. if one of them pops it gets publicized people get afraid people rethink what they're going to say and what they're going to do and where they're going to go and then the same end is, is met by one of these fucking guys who just gets lit up and radicalized by these ideas yeah that's right that's the new phase we're in now post charlottesville after they got really ashamed to be on the streets um they really became an alt-right uh, terror epidemic. And that, that had stretched back for years on the chans. Um, but now, as you say, they're, some of them are 19, they're 20 years old. So, so it, it, it was being encouraged by older uh, white supremacists for years. On, yeah. on, they, were, they were trying to radicalize yeah, these that's, kids. Yeah, that's right. So uh, you know, part of the story is that, indeed, older white supremacists, what... Uh, are like this always contingent of poor white Southerners and sort of people that have always been on the margins, um, always on, and they were largely been online for a long time. They came to 4chan around 2012 and radicalized a lot of the otaku. But I really think it's a new thing that we're experiencing now that like the 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 new alt right really started 2013 is very different. It's its own movement. What has occurred is that they're 19, 20-year-old kids. They're going on 4chan and 4chan's worst predecessor, 8, predecessor 8chan. Um, and Reddit? 
Um, a little bit Reddit. Reddit has been much better at cleaning that stuff up, but yeah. it's still pretty bad yeah. uh, in places. Uh, so largely it fell to 8chan. Yeah. Uh, and what's happened is like, you know, they were there for a year and a half and they get just brainwashed because it's all of this garbage is now so distilled uh-huh. and the culture is just so And now they have their up. martyrs. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so it becomes this tradition like that's a meme, like going out and killing those people and being a murderer is like a set of memes mm-hmm. and they just inherit the memes. And of course, teenagers do this like copycat suicide thing anyway that's sort of like a psychological problem that happens yeah idolizing suicide is essentially what they've been doing for years and then on top of that idolizing action films the power fantasies they're being sold in movies and anime so why not take a suicidal action that will have real world impact in the 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 larger cause of of uh, winning for yeah. white people. That's exactly right. And it steps them through the screen, right? So they, be, they become the, the thing on the screen, right? Mm. They become the other side of the, the action film. Wow. Yeah. So, all right, so let's end a, a little lighter in that we didn't talk about the evolution of Pepe because I know you were being followed by a documentary crew uh, who was put together by the creator of Pepe the Frog who right. is trying to uh, to get his frog back. Yeah, he's trying to get... I, it's coming back. <laughs> Pepe, or the merry comedy and redemption of Pepe the Frog. Well, what is the history of Pepe? How did he become uh, uh, turned out? To, how did he become the, the representation oh, of nihilism and then white supremacy? Yeah, so... He- he really started as like an indie comic uh, guy and, and the comic was about being a gross dude living with roommates. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of from my realm of web comics. Uh-huh. Um, and then Matt Fury, the creator, he's on the left. Um, uh, nice guy. Uh, but 4chan 2006, 2007 adopts Pepe because he's just such a great cartoon that he looks like a loser. He looks like the symbol of yeah. being a loser dropping out. Yeah. Um, and that's what he means for many years. Yeah. But then when the loserdom gets so intense by 2012, 13 and the all right happens, then he becomes the symbol of that. Yeah. And they, uh, Richard Spencer's wearing a Pepe. Yeah. And pin. then, and then there's this weird moment that no one understands when during Trump's inauguration, Spencer's pointing as Pepe the Frog Pen. He's like, oh, let's explain Pepe, Pepe, my symbol. And then he gets socked. Um, Oh, that's punch the Nazi in the face guy. Right. So, um, and then Hillary releases an explainer and she's like, Pepe is a far right symbol. Uh, And Breitbart and Yiannopoulos, they love it. They're delighted that that Hillary is behind the curve, that she doesn't really understand what's happening. And so by this point, Pepe... Youth culture knows what Pepe means. Yeah. And so 2015, they're like, we're all Pepe. We're all this loser on the bottom. That's how we all feel. Yeah. Right? And they're mad that the alt-right, that subsection stole it. And so Hillary looks a little ridiculous. Right. Uh, that it's sort of like thrown into the media mix. Yeah. Um, and this is where Pepe has remained, but uh, just this week. Uh, so he he returned a little bit where he's kind of returned to his original position of just, I'm just a loser guy. Yeah. Uh, that's what he means now a little bit. But just this week, the um, the protesters in Hong Kong have been using him. Um, uh, that just, just this morning, the New York Times ran an article that Pepe is now a symbol of democracy in Hong Kong. Uh, and all the youth, and it's the same. It's because that's how the kids in Hong Kong, they didn't know. They didn't even know mm-hmm. about the already. They said, that's just, we saw that frog. That's just how we felt. That's just like wow. So, right? what's the name of the guy who created it? Uh, Matt Fury. Was so, he going to come today? Uh, no, okay. he moved a little north of here in California. It's his buddy, his animator friend, who uh, animates with him. So, what happened? Yeah, they were going to do a Pepe the Frog animation, but then then it got co-opted by the all right, like at the exact same time. And now they're like, well, now we have to do a documentary that's animated about what the hell happened to Pepe. Yeah, and they they wanted they was there copyright issues? I guess there's no way to deal with copyrights I mean, when you have no. meme culture. Uh, Actually, that became its own crazy thing where um, 
No, there is, right? Like, I told them, like, when I first talked to them years, like, Who? when it was first happening, the, the, Pepe uh, people. the Pepe people, I was like, Matt, why isn't Matt enforcing his copyright? Yeah. Like, I know as an artist, like, you make it, you own it. Yeah. Um, and then he, he started doing that. Um, maybe he had his owner's ideas doing I don't know how much I was at fault for that. But uh, he sued Alex Jones, who was selling Pepe merchandise. He uh-huh. got a nice lawyer, volunteered to sue all the alt-right people who were using Pepe uh, to sort of reclaim Pepe yeah. as the as um, uh, as his. Yeah. Um, and how'd that go? Uh, it went okay that he got ten fifteen thousand dollars from Alex Jones, which was small, I yeah. think, but um, it was something. Um, and at least like they stopped using it. There was a guy that made a Pepe and Pede uh, um, children's book. Pede is another meme that's like Donald Trump supporter. Uh-huh. And it was a really cruel, stupid children's book. And yeah. and um, they got that, all, you know, like they got- um, Cease and desist. Yeah, and they got money from them that they then donated to uh, good causes that fight against that. And and Fury himself is like, he makes like love Pepe's now and like hippie Pepe's. Because hippie, you know, like Pepe was like this cool, chilled yeah. out hippie guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like uh, the big Lebowski Pepe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks for- uh, going through this oh yeah my pleasure thank you so much for having me on. no i i love the book and it you know it was very helpful to me and i think it you know certainly i i think that people you know above 40 you know who are not you know computer literate in 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 the world of of chans yeah. and platforms and and subreddits and whatever uh it's important to sort of get this perspective on how what happened happened yeah well i, I i'm glad that it's uh uh, it's helpful because it was uh, not particularly fun to drink poison for two years, but now I'm a male failure expert. So, yeah. <laughs> and what are you doing with your failure? What's a, what's the next thing for you? Um, I want to go back to making uh, creative work, whether that's novels or comics or uh, something like that. That's uh, hopefully something that's a little lighter than this. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad. Well, thank you for for uh, getting obsessively uh, engaged with this stuff. Oh, no problem. Yeah, thanks so much for talking to me about it. Okay, that's it. Enjoy that book. Go read it. Uh, it came from something awful. I, I found it completely engaging. I appreciate Dale coming. It was educational for me. Nice fella. Uh, go to wtfpod.com slash tour for all my tour dates. I need you, Detroit, Toronto. Come on. Come on. It's okay if it's my last tour, but let's make it a big one. I'm not committing to that, but, you know, I don't know. We'll see. Now I'm going to play my Stratocaster, which I got out. It's a Stratocaster with flat wounds. And if you know what that means, you know what that means. Here we go.
Boomer lives. Stratocaster.